Oi, you lot. You listen to Garage Hammer. Episode 174. On tonight's episode, the fat manling finally realizes it might be a good idea to tap the new manling and ask about what you might want to do if you are going to run a tournament. You know, only because the new one, that's like all he does at this spare time, is run tournaments. So, it might be a smart thing for the fat manling to ask. Not that he does a lot of smart things, I'm telling you. That's, you know, that's Shut it! I'm listening to me show! Welcome to the garage, you tools. For the next two hours or thereabouts, we will do our best to keep you informed, entertained, and perhaps have a laugh or two along the way. Bringing you TO101, Hobby Wobbles, and the Hype Train. I'm Alex Gonzalez. And I'm R.J. McMurphy. And I know. No, I'm not. Oh, crap. I got to back that up. I'm R.J. McCready. And I know I'm human. R.J. McCready. And I know I'm human. I threw that, that, I threw that little hint in there. Nope. No. The brain noodle is fried today, buddy. That's okay. I was that's uh that's Kurt Russell from the thing. Would you believe I've never seen that? Oh. You're gonna hear that a lot, Dave. We got Okay, yeah, no, I, I get that. See and here, uh, and okay, we're sidetracking early. Um I just I, I don't I haven't backed a Kickstarter in like a long time. Mainly because I, I back them and I don't play them. And once I stopped backing Mantic Kickstarters, because I realized I would buy them and not play them and sell them. Um, but I just don't back a lot of Kickstarters. But the the movie The Thing is based on the book Who Goes There. And um, they, there's a game now that they came out with like where you all play together and start off as humans. And then as you're playing there, the cards start going up. And you realize someone might be a thing. And as the cards go, you're trying to stay human. But if you don't stay human, then you're a thing. And it's your job to infect the rest of the party. And I was watching the gameplay on Kickstarter. And I, I I sent it to Christopher, who is a huge, also a huge fan of the thing. And I'm like, would you be interested in playing this? Oh, by the way, Christopher's moving back. <laughs> He'll be living here next month. And so he's like, oh, yeah, I'll play that. So, I mean, we won't even get it to like May or June. Um, but that got that, 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 that prompted the R.J. McCready. Um, so that's where that came in. Not that any of that matters, but I'm very excited. And I've been watching a lot of Kurt Russell movies lately. So nothing wrong with that. No. All right, so uh, all right, let's. Uh, you know what? Let's do the sponsor thing while we're. Yeah, we probably well, should. Yeah, before we go way too far off. All right, so as always, we need to take a moment to thank the sponsors of Garage Hammer, which include Unique Gifts and Games in Grays Lake, Illinois. Chaos Orc Superstore. 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 And and Six Squared Studios. Six Squared Studios. For all your MDF needs. Oh, yes. I'm going to be seeing them at Gen Con. They're going to be there. Excellent. And I'm getting some of those awesome paint trays. 
to, Ooh, to keep all my little fancy. paint pots in organized because I don't have organization going. So I'm very excited. And I'm getting some uh, some new bases from them and maybe some of those little movement trays, you know, because now that you can now that you're gonna get bonuses for mass groupings of Oh yeah. Things I'm gonna <laughs> need some of those little at least a little five by fives, you know, the little five guy movement trays. So mm-hmm. Uh, so that's awesome sauce, really good there. And of course, we definitely need to thank our Patreon associate producer Shirley Tempel, and now Phil Elliott. Phil bumped; he went up and then sent me a nice message saying how he's like, I don't know if this is going to go on for long, but I just want you to know how much I appreciate the show. And he's up at associate producer level, so thank you, Phil Elliott, and thank you to our newest patrons, Aaron Sur and Peter Bullemeyer. I hope I pronounced your names right. If I didn't, I apologize. You, too, can be a patron by going to patreon.com slash garagehammer and checking out our Patreon page. Uh, and you can also go to the Garage Hammer page and click on sponsors. And there's a Patreon button there, and it'll take you right there. And you can see there's a link, and it also uh, will shows you all, all of the proud almost 1% who have taken it upon themselves to support the show. Um, through becoming show patrons And it's kind of awesome And I appreciate it So thank you to you guys um, On Patreon Next, guess what? What? We have voicemail No, we don't Oh, boy uh, Yeah, we got a lot of voicemails this week Uh-oh And if you would like to send us a voicemail <laughs> You can call one seven five seven gh show 6 That's one 757-GH-SHOW-6. 757-GH-SHOW-6. Call anytime. Not right now. You're listening to the show. But if you want to call later, feel free because that would be awesome. Okay, so our first two voicemails are from Aaron. And uh, now this first one, uh, it, it, it breaks up in the middle. He's calling from his car. And uh, so... Um, it's, it, I have to edit, I had to edit out part of the middle of the call. So it, it, it's still, it, I still wanted to get a chance to get it up there cause he's got some questions about Age of Sigmar and, and about Bretonians. So I wanted to get that, uh, on there for him. Um, so here we go. First call. Hello, this is Aaron from Indianapolis. Uh, I'll have to apologize for the road noises because I'm currently commuting to work. But anyway, I'm calling in. I'm not actually an Age of Sigmar player. Um, I just came across your podcast and looking for 40K stuff and really appreciate it. But anyway, uh, I had a question. Once upon a time, in the days of 8th edition, I owned a small Bretonian force. And after playing one game of 8th edition, I decided I hated it. <laughs> Not because the Bretonians were bad. My, my uh, friends were nice enough to um, take a force that was that was competitive, so we would actually have a, a decent game. And, you know, I went to look into it and found out, to my dismay, that the Bretonian line had been discontinued, which is really unfortunate because of all the GW models, those had to be my favorite because I just love anything medieval, and especially from that period of, you know, the 1200s, I just think it's awesome. So my question is this. What's the newness of 40K wears off, and I played a bunch of games, and I want to try something new. Is it worth putting together 
these old Bretonians and trying to use them in Age of Sigmar, maybe allied with somebody else? Um, or should I sell the little dudes and get an army that's currently supported? I mean, I know they have rules <clears throat> in Age of Sigmar, and I, I know they've been updating them, but is that going to continue? Is it going to be worth it? Do they work in Age of Sigmar? Is, you know, would I be building a uh, force out of nostalgia and then getting my butt kicked all the time? So, yeah, that was my question to you. I, I you know, I don't have a whole lot of Age of Sigmar people in my circles. And, frankly, you know, some of the podcasts and whatnot, I, I don't really, haven't heard anything like that be answered and, haven't really found anything on internet forums or anything. I'm just wondering what your thoughts on it would be. Anyway, I hope you're having a great day. Have a good one. Bye. Okay, now before we uh, before we go to uh, before we answer that question, let's get the second call in there. I don't remember 100% if they're even related, but he did literally call right back with another question. So I might as well just add that in there. And just put it all together uh, once I get this up and running here. So, ah, Bretonians. It's almost like playing Tomb Kings. All right, here we go. Wait. Hi, this is Aaron again. It occurred to me right after I hung up the phone that uh, telling you what I have might uh, help you answer my question. Uh, my Bretonians that I have are like two lords. Um, I think I have the pieces necessary to create a Pegasus. I, I'm not sure. I saw some wings in there and whatnot. Uh, I've got uh, three units of the knights, like the basic knight errants, and and I think I can convert them to be one of the other knight units. And then I've got uh, two units of foot and some archers. So it wasn't very big to begin with, which you know never was the the uh, the point. I like them; I like the models. But would that be enough to ally with somebody else? Um, you know, or maybe try to pick up a few units off of eBay. I've seen some of them for sale. Uh, or should I just sell the guys? Uh, anyway, I right, thanks a lot for your time and have a good day. Thanks. Okay, so there's our first voicemail. It's a good question. Uh, it's a legit question. Uh, Alex, why don't you run with your thoughts on this first? And uh, unless you need a moment to gather your thoughts. Oh, no. I'm quite familiar with the Bretonians. Um, <laughs> in the Compendium section, there's two real standalone armies that can actually be played out of there Bretonians and Tomb Kings. Um, again, because they discontinue the whole lines respectively for each of those not part and piece like they did with the rest of it. Um, Bretonians, however, are um, a very good army, I think. They're obviously the best cavalry in the game. Grail Knights in particular are right now. The best what? The best what? They're probably the best cavalry in the game. Cavalry? Did you say cavalry? Because if you said cavalry, we're going to have to end this show right now. They're the best horsey guys. Cavalry, like gavel, like the thing you hold. Cav, cav, cav. I'm sorry, I hate to do that. It's just my 
Oh my god, that just school is not in session, boyo. Not for another ten days, or at least until my kids go back, and then I got another week, and I get to go to Gen Con, and they don't. That's not the point. I'm sorry, I hate to do that to you. It just it drives me insane when I hear it on other podcasts. So, oh, go ahead. Yeah, no, they got great Cav. Um, yes, they do. Um, it's just most of their abilities work on the charge. So, obviously, the easiest way to play them is to maximize the bonuses. You get on the charge, which is you make the most out of the retreat mechanic. So basically, you're actually to use like real cav tactics, charge in, do as much damage as you can, pull the unit out, and charge back in again with another unit. It's this way you can continue to work in cycles so that they can get away on the retreat, right? Yeah, because their move is so fast; it's basic ten. So you're literally charging them in, hitting, and then running them out, and at the same time charging in with something else so that they don't get run down as they're running away. Right, and then you get all those magic bonuses that you get when you charge in this army, because seriously, all their special rules have to do with charging. Um, So what he's, for what the collection he has, it sounds like he's got a pretty good assortment of stuff. Um... I think definitely, if you're going to be continuing with the army, Grail Knights, I personally think, are a 1+. plus. Oh, yeah. have in your army. Um, the unit itself puts out upwards near, like, 40-ish wounds at max on the charge. They're the only knights with rend and decent damage output on horse. Um, and then Grail, or not the Grail, the Grail Willoquay can stack a lot of modifiers between numbers and closeness it's a very well written type of army that has a lot of bonus bonuses for being within x range of not just characters but also units of knights and peasant bowmen bane of my existence um (laughs) i have a local guy that plays bretonians and he uses a unit of like 30 or 40 peasant bowmen and with their thing is they get a once per game arrow storm, which if they have twenty or more un- twenty more models in the unit, you quadruple the number of attacks that they make. Quadruple. Yeah. So a unit of thirty suddenly is one hundred and twenty shots. Or a unit of forty is one hundred and sixty shots okay. that you can modify to hit on uh, fours or threes or something to that extent. It's a pretty gnarly. Uh, build and you can get to reroll failed wound rolls of one if you've got them with braziers they're just they're neat okay so um now obviously uh, until the new general's handbook comes out we won't know for certain but they don't have well they would just have allegiance order abilities right i mean because they're still listed as order right yeah now on the facebook community page they did confirm that they're going to be keeping Compendium. It's just not going to be in the handbook. So you'd have to go get the PDFs and download them? or Yeah, for free from the website. It's going to be handled a lot like Forge World is what it sounds like. Okay, so where so, would you get the points from? Would that just be on the... Uh, I would assume they would be attached to the PDFs, so it would be the only place. Or to the War Scroll the, Builder? Well, War Scroll Builder isn't like super official. I would personally go through the PDF just to confirm okay. it. But I would imagine that they're going to be there. And realistically, they said they're going to keep them. They're going to keep them updated. So 
I would hang on to them, try them out, see if you like their play style in AOS. If not, I'm sure you could either use them for something else, maybe like a Blood Knight army or you know any of the other various cav options that you have. So just give it a shot. If you don't like it, move on. Uh, but definitely give the game a shot. There's a lot of good guys in Indianapolis that are playing uh, Age of Sigmar. So you just got to look them up. They got a bunch of different uh, Facebook pages for Indiana, for Indiana and Indianapolis in general for Age of Sigmar. So definitely look those guys up. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I mean, definitely try them out. I agree with you. Try them out. Try out the rules because they do have a lot of synergies and suits. Like, uh, I'm I'm not a I'm not a big compendium, war scroll proponent personally. Like, I just think that there's so much else that they're putting out that is so much. I mean, it's new. It's nice. Even if it's not that new, they've got all sorts of cool, very specific bonuses that I don't know that that you're going to see going forward with the compendium guys but they do have such a nice synergy like it is such a neat army yeah um, and they don't have a lot of the like the allegiance abilities that you're going to get out of like a stormcast or a sylvaneth or something like that but it's an army that gets bonuses from itself just by being within range of itself so i think that makes up for it yeah and uh, hey, Aaron, get in touch with me if you hear this uh, and you hear it right away. Uh, I may have a few Grail Knights sitting around that I will never use, uh, and I'm going to be at Gen Con next Wednesday through Saturday. So if you're going to be around there, uh, if if I can dig them up, you know you can I can get them to you if you need some um, to add to your thing if you love him that much because if you love him that much i think i mean it sounds like he that's that's his that you know he really likes it and Mm -hmm. if you really like i mean honestly i mean people play what they like if you like it that much um the one thing i can say about it is you know it played really cool in seventh and then in eighth it didn't play so good um or not as well as it did i should say because of the rules changes and now the way age of sigmar plays they play like they play exactly like they should. Like, yeah, it's actually they really definitely cool. play more thematic. Yeah, um, and if that's if that's your thing, you know, uh, yeah, give it, dude, give it a shot. You'll probably love it. Um, I mean, but, what do you have to lose? Well, that, that is true. That is very true. Um, geez, we're going so long already, and we have more voicemails. You know what? We're not even going to get to all of these. I have like four more. Like, I'm not Jeez. joking. Oh, yeah, and then I got another one while we were talking about this one. Like, the voicemails are coming in fast and furious. Uh, here, let me play. Um, here, yeah, let's play this one because this, I believe this is a, uh, I believe this is a Stormcast okay, message. Uh, might be recording twice. My name is John Christensen. Uh, I was kind of hoping y'all had any ideas on how to build an army around Lord Aqualore, um, what you call Chocobo Riders and um, some hunters. Uh, kind of look at it about a thousand points. I picked up a box of each and um, a bunch of normal liberators just to kind of fill in until I get enough to, you know, kind of run what I'm comfortable with. Uh, just kind of curious what y'all's opinion is on the, the hunters and the aqualores. The Lord is here. Uh, you've been listening for a few episodes. Uh, keep up the good works and thank you very much. 
Well, there you go. That's a pretty simple one, straightforward. And this one actually isn't too terribly tough. Um, I know you built some of them, didn't you? The Lord Aquilor and the Riders. Uh, no, actually. Oh, you did. I just I have the Hunters. Okay. So that's the guys on foot with the pelts, and then I have two units of the Raptors and the birds, the Ether Wings. Okay. So you can definitely build it around a Vanguard list. It's just a matter of how you make it work. The Aquilar's ability to move stuff around is really good with the Chocobo Riders. Uh, so that's the Palidors. So they can get to where your opponent's weak spot is using his command ability. And then they hit that. And then they can disappear again using the command ability and hit from the other side of the table. Yeah. So for a 1,000 points, realistically, you'd be looking at like an Aquilor. Uh, two units of hunters, if you're staying in theme with the hunter conclave type stuff, probably a unit or two of chocobos and a couple units of snipers, that yeah. would probably set you right. It's going to be good for objective running because there's so much ambush in that army. And their special but, ability is so cool, yeah. With the compass. Mm-hmm. So it's just going to be a matter of understanding that you're probably not going to be able to win a straight up fight, but you can play for the objectives, play for the scenario. And just go for it from there. And don't underestimate raptors with those stupid crossbows. They will put things down. You just have to know what to shoot at. Yep. I I got nothing after that. It's, it's a, that is, that's finesse. That's the thing with that. And I'm not a real good finesse player. No, and it plays very different to most Stormcast builds because most Stormcast builds want to hit you square in the face. Yep. And see if you can stand. This is definitely not that way to play. And got, it's a very cool way to start. I got pigeons and hammers and, and, and guys with long spears, and that's what I play. And so that's that's still sitting on the shelf unbuilt. And it's like, oh, I want to do that. And I don't know how I how I don't know how to play that well enough. Um, all right. So listen, we're going to have to get to some of these voicemails next episode. Uh, just to give you a... A uh, idea of what's coming up on the voicemail. We may have to have a whole segment for this. Um, we have a, a player who's got a question about Sylvaneth. They're making uh, stuff with Dryads. Its name is Trevor. Um, he's doing a lot of Sylvaneth stuff. Um, then we have a call from a gentleman, and this is beautiful. Uh, Dan, who had been listening to the show for almost 14 hours over the last two days. On oh, a long I'm sorry. drive from Oklahoma. I know. Um, and it's actually his questions for you. He's getting destruction, and he's thinking of getting some grots, and he doesn't know what to do with them. He doesn't know to go with spiders or Moon Clan or whatnot. So um, he's got questions about that. Um, really easy answer. Yes. What? Just do just, it. Just build anything? If it's little and green, that's the way you do it. Just go for it. There you go. Little and green, go for it. And then if you build, like, three spiders and a bunch of riders, then you're acting like Paul. Um, we don't talk about it. We, don't, we just, we just got to keep going. Okay. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. We're out of time. All right. So, uh, okay. Um, 
great googly moogly. So that's yeah. So we're gonna we're gonna come back with more voicemails next episode. But we got to go to a break because we've been going on forever. I didn't realize how many of these we got. They just keep coming in, and I'm glad because I like voicemails. But we got to come back. Uh, we got to go through a quick toolbox, and we've got a news network to go through, and then we've got our main topic, and we're gonna talk. I know, um, you know, I got some. We got some really mixed reviews on when we talked about uh, competitive play. People are like, what is what is that doing on your show? But um, now we're going to talk about how to run your own tournament. What is that doing on your show? So, hey, we're branching out. Alex has knowledge, and we want to tap into that knowledge. So we're going to take a break. When we come back, the Garage Hammer News Network Network News thing. So we'll be back. Folks, Chaos Orc Superstore, your one-stop shop for all your hobby gaming needs. They've not only got current and classic GW releases, Chessex Dice, and Vallejo Paints, but now they're also carrying Mantic, Infinity, Flames of War, Privateer Press, Soda Pop, Dark Age, and other assorted board and miniature-based games. They usually ship within 24 hours, and the model in the picture is the model they ship to you, because at Chaos Orc Superstore, what you see is what you get. And we are back with the Garage Hammer News Network. All right. I was waiting for another one. No, but I'm all out. That's all right. So, Handbook 2, Teasers Galore. How about it? And the people are already like, I hope they're not going to take forever and just do it like they did with that, with that, uh, with the... With the 40K, just give it to us. Right, no, don't complain. Yeah, GW has a lot of releases that they're dropping <laughs> in a very short succession. Two between, 40K books this Saturday. Plus the handbook, probably shortly thereafter. They're running out of time in this month. Yeah, so, I know. Come on already. I don't want it to drop when I'm at Gen Con. I won't be able to grab it then. Oh, my God. It's, it's going to be fine. Really, people. <laughs> See, here's the thing. I'm getting back Sunday night, and i got to work Monday morning. Oh. Like I go back, like the real world comes crashing down around me the minute I get back from Gen Con. I, I don't like it. I want my book. It's gonna be okay. <laughs> well, thank you. It'll be fine. Oh boy! But these teasers, man, death is gonna be kind of uh, cool again. Yeah, it's kind of weird. They've got the. Uh three big factions out of death coming out soul blight night haunt flesh eaters getting their own command abilities thank you <sighs> yeah because that's what they need they're not awesome as they are no they're not but it's just it's nice to see the things that they 
kind of missed over pre-Sylvaneth getting some love. Yep. And we finally get some allegiance abilities for elves because that's cool. Yep, and I, I do like that the minute this stuff posted, people are like, when they talked about the uh, bonuses for Horde armies, the not so much the bonuses to use them because they already had bonuses, but the the point reductions. Yeah, when you take the, the massive regiments. Yeah, when you max out, you wind up paying less per scroll uh, to max out the units. And oh, instantly, you better be practicing with that and getting some movement trades if you're going to take that to a tournament. None of this getting a turn two nonsense. I'm thinking about, yes, you are correct. Yeah, it'll be fine, everybody. Really. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm excited. Yeah. Like, not so excited that I'm going to start rebasing all of my death army, but... Um, oh, I don't know. Well, okay. Here's the thing. Everybody knows I have lots of zombies, but they're the mantic zombies, and they're in... I, I did that heavy swamp basing. Oh, yeah. So they can't be taken off the bases and rebased. And yeah. So I have to make new ones. Okay, which I don't have. A, I don't. I ain't got beef with. I have twenty boxes of Mantic zombies that are waiting to go to Adepticon next year and get put up on the trade room tables. Um, because here's the thing: I just some somewhere deep in my heart, I know deep down, and this isn't any insider knowledge. This is just me going. The oldest kit I think that's left from GW. Is that zombie kit? And they're dopey. <laughs> yeah, they are very Scooby Doo. They're just so dopey, and it's like they're putting, they're hitting home runs with all this stuff, and it's like they're gun. They've got to, they've got to be replacing this soon. And I just, I don't, I, I don't want to start a whole project without. The zombies, because I love my zombies and my death army. And I don't want to start a project without them. And I'm not going to start a project doing the Mantic zombies because I'm dumping the Mantic. All I have from them anymore are the ghouls and the zombies. And I never used to like the ghouls. They never made sense to me. The way they looked didn't match up with their fluff in the old book. But or lore, I'm sorry, we're trying to say lore now. Sound less dorky. <laughs> yeah, shut up, Lindsay. Check yourself, buddy. Um, <laughs> um, but the lore for the flesh eater courts, it makes sense that they look like that now. Like the, they could walk around with bones sticking out of them and still live because they, they 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 can. Like we've talked about their lore enough where it makes sense. It never made sense before. So now, plus they match up with. The crypt horrors and the other things in their book, they look similar. So it's like, all right, if I go back to this, I'm going to use the GW ghouls and the GW zombies. So basically, I will not go back to my death army until Games Workshop puts out zombies. Mm -hmm. And then once they do, it's on. <laughs> there will be hordes and hordes of zombies again. Oh yes, White Text Table will have zombies again. More, than, mm. more than you can possibly imagine. 
I don't know why I'm talking like this. I'm just I get excited <laughs> about it's okay. So yeah, so plus I've just, I just I'm putting those nice pauses in there so you can make fun of me about the thousand zombie project. So because that's yeah, still that, waiting on that one. That's never going to happen. There's no way in AOS that you would use a thousand zombies. There's not no. There's no. I can't think of any logical reason why you would need that many. There's, I mean, I could have done it because in the old game that would have been like seriously about two, three thousand points worth of zombies. They were they were cheap as chips. Um, but in this game, thousand zombies would just be dumb. So well, you never know. Yeah, if they get that massive regiment rule, it might be a little easier. <laughs> but. That would still be fifteen. I think oh, plus pish. No, that's no. But so that's 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 what I have to say about the zombies uh, yeah. and, the, and the huge hordes. Um, you know who else got a little bit of a, a, a hint and a drop? Dispossessed. Yeah, that's a gnarly little ability. And you know what? It fits. And once again, taking old types of rules that they had. And and making them just finding a new... It's, it's basically stubborn. Mm-hmm. <laughs> For anyone who hasn't read it, if you're running Dispossessed, you know, the the old school Dwarden, um, you take your, uh, break, your break test on a one, two, or three, you pass. No matter how badly, how many you lost, no matter how many... If your bravery is seven and you lost 12... You pass on a one, two, or three because dwarves don't budge. Dwarden don't run. Mm-hmm. No. Oh, that, that, just that. I actually pulled all of my Dwarden models out of the cases and checked what I have and looked at it and mm-hmm. was excited. And the Fire Slayers are getting runes. Yep. That's a neat little system. <sighs> Seraphon get to teleport. Oh, and how. How exciting is that? Yeah. Seriously. I mean, I had a Lizardmen army. I bought it. I started building it. I didn't quite ever get around to it. I wound up selling it. Um, and the guy who sold it now has on his third army and sold that, his first army, to a new guy who's playing. So that army is bringing in more people to the game than it ever did <laughs> helping sitting in my closet. Mm. But, uh, oh, dude, it's so good. Yeah. And they needed something in that army to really make it more consistently a threat. Yep. And that'll do it. Yep. They still need a couple of adjustments here and there. A few thing, a few tweaks, I think. Mm-hmm. I hope they rewrite Lord Croak's rules. I really think they should just fix him. His rules don't no. make his rules don't make sense at in all. In match play, they don't. Yeah. In open and narrative, then he's fine. True, but you should be able to play a model in both systems. His points could be off for what he does, but he shouldn't have rules that simply... Do you say, well, no, he can't do that. That breaks the rules. You know what I'm saying? That's just my yeah. opinion. When you say he can cast four spells a turn and he only knows one spell, so he just keeps casting that, well, that violates the rules in the in the for match play. 
So either you say, okay, yeah, okay, his, his and, you know, just <laughs> this overrides the rules, you know, uh, from, you know, whatever. Do whatever it takes. Make it work. Either change him or say that that rule's overridden. I mean, we've gone through this before. I yeah. just, I don't like a character that only pl- is only literally only playable in one style. It's not that he's too expensive, but he's fair in matched play, or that he's fun in matched play, but he's way too cheap and he's overpowered. I mean, he's, he's fun in narrative, he's overpowered in matched play. He's not playable in matched play. I mean, yeah, Croak you can, NATO is a thing. Cro- yes, Croak NATO is a thing, but it's just it's the rules. It, it annoys me when there are literally rules that the. That one style of play is like, yeah, you, you, you can't, you know, his, yeah, his, his, his whole thing is moot because you have to put him up on top of that thing to make him w- worth anything. He on his own is, doesn't work in match play. But that's, I'm off my soapbox. Yeah. So I do like what they're doing with all these, with these little, oh, I'm so, I'm, I cannot wait to get my hands on this book. Yeah, it's going to be good. It's definitely going to be meta changing, which is fantastic, or just even gameplay in general. Because I think we've kind of hit a lull with AOS, especially with the 40k push. But the hype train's coming, and I think we're going to get run over really hard. Yep. As soon as this book drops. Yeah. Um, Without even ne- needing to put out a lot of new rule books, because this is just going to this is going to revitalize and change the rules. For all the existing army, I'm sure Darkling Covens are going to get stuff. Free Guild's going to get stuff. Yeah, they're going to get uh, specific shoutouts on the website, but they've also got Iron Jaws, Pestilens, Scryer. There's a lot of stuff in there that is going to really pick up the rest of it, other than the big books that we're seeing right now. So, a lot of good stuff coming, guys. Very excited. Very excited. And uh, so, uh, and at the end of this week, we'll have, like I said, two more 40K books, which makes three of the 10 they promised by the end of the year. Yeah. And if they put them out like that, doubling them down every couple weeks, then Mm -hmm. there'll be room for some AOS drops. Yeah. So, So, it'll be good. Yeah. And then they've been dropping Space Marines left and right, all the Primaris stuff. Love it. I got to tell you. Not a fan of the Reavers to begin with, but then they got the spaghetti noodle grapnel gun. I I don't understand it. It looks like a gray ramen noodle being shot out of a pistol, and that bothers me a lot because that is going to break a lot. The fragility of it is what gets to me. The thing itself doesn't bother me. The Reavers don't bug me. I, they, they're not. Uh, see, I don't ever model Space Marines without their helmets. I don't. Hmm. I don't like them with their helmets off. Um, nothing personal. It's just when you have all that tactical information coming up through your HUD, and it does all this stuff, filters and all this sound. Well, don't take it off. You know. So the plus are easier to paint that way. So I don't. I, their faces are a little odd to me. The rest of it doesn't bother me though. I picked up. A, I think what is it? A chaplain? I think guy with a skull face. He's got a sword. Yeah, a chaplain with the pimp cane. Yeah, I picked up one of those just because it looked so awesome. And uh, I read his rules. I'm like, oh, these rules are pretty good. Let people re-roll their dice and stuff like that. I'm like, okay, cool. I like this. So I'm, 40K is so exciting right now, too. I just, 
Ugh, there's so much. I have so much love for Games Workshop right now. I just do. It's yeah. so cool. Um, what else? Uh, I think that's it for the news, isn't it? Yeah. Uh, hey, shout out to Rob Symes. Uh, good luck in uh, all your future endeavors, buddy. Yeah. Sad news. Sad news. Yeah. Um, for those that haven't seen it, he's uh, he gave leaving workshop. Yep. Um, I mean, obviously, whatever happened happened. So he's yeah. got to do what he's got to do, and we wish him all the best. I don't know what it was. I sent him a message today. Hope everything's well. He said, "Hey, everything is. Um, got I got you know stuff going on. I'm very happy." So he didn't elaborate, and I didn't ask him to. But he says all's good. So then I, you know, I'm assuming he's not just going to BS me. Um, no, no, you know. Rob's not that kind of guy. No, but. I actually, I, I asked him if he'd like to come on the show sometime, and he said yes, and now he can. So <laughs> it's all good. Yeah. So maybe he's one, a good one, cat. So one, next 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 time an army book comes out that he really likes, I told him, hey, the next time next time a next time a battle tome comes out that's that's your flavor. Just let me know you're in. And he said, cool. So we'll see if that happens. All right. I'm going to Toolbox. Let's do a Toolbox. Yeah. Let's Which, box. is it still brought to you by Chaos Work Superstar? It has, is, and probably always will be brought to you by Chaos Work Superstar. Chaos Work Superstar. <laughs> what have you been doing, Alex? Um, I'm on the hobby wobble train really hard. <laughs> um, it's I'm moving between so many different projects. Uh, I just finished cleaning 88 giant rats for the clan molder project. I'm sorry. I don't know what I was thinking cleaning 88 of those things, but they're done. So now I'm going to be moving on to the bases and converting rat ogres. So that's going to be great. Really looking forward to it. Oh, yeah. Sounds like fun. Yeah, I got about another seven or so I need to convert. So it's going to be a good challenge for me. And I've been working on my salamanders in the breaks of cleaning and assembly. So this way I'm not getting bogged down and bored in one particular thing. So I'm not making a lot of progress on anything, but I'm making progress, which is always a good thing. And then I was able to pick up something for my display board for the Molder project from Tectonic Craft Studios. And we'll get a link to their website uh, up in the show notes. Absolutely. It's the Smoldering Ruin. Now, what this is going to be is going to look like a shack or a house that's been kind of demolished. And I'm going to use some of the new bracken and vines that they're coming out with from Workshop. To make it look overgrown and kind of haunted and ruined in a swamp that I'm doing for my display board. And the guy that runs it, his name is Dan. He, I met him at Adepticon. We actually had brunch with him and Kelly Brown and Ian Botts and a few of the other guys uh, the Monday after Adepticon. Botts. So really got to get to chat with him. He's super passionate about his product. His stuff is really, really sharp. It's a lot of objective markers, like woodburn products that you punch out. Okay. So really nice stuff. He does display boards for models, base inserts, terrain that you can – he's got a lot of neat stuff. Make sure to check it out. Okay. So definitely recommend it. Tectonic Craft Studios. 
Okay. He'll be at Gen Con. You should say hi. Well, maybe I will. All right. So uh, that's it for you? Yeah, that's me. All right. Um, okay. So I, I haven't I, – I missed several days. Um, I, was, I was ill. Um, I, I get kidney stones sometimes. And I had a really bad attack, like didn't even pass because couldn't get out of my kidney, like jammed up in there. And I was laid out for about three days. And then I was recovering for several after that. Um, but I, last week or so, I've been sitting back down here and painting a couple of days down here in the crypt. Uh, I finished Sorty Lantern Griffhound Guy. Uh, That's Lord Veritant for those that don't speak, Dave. Lord Veritant, yes. And I fi- finished uh, Mr. Sword and Hammer Cloak. A Lord Celestin on foot. Yep, and I yeah I know that's the Lord Celestin. I just like to call him Mister Sword and Hammer Cloak because he's got that hammer cloak. Like that's that's you know it's cool. Um, and uh, Wingy Assassin Hawkman is not quite done. The Knight uh, Venator. See, I know their names too. Okay. Uh, <laughs> but Wingy Assassin Hawkman. Now I didn't paint the hawk or whatever you call the birds. Uh, it's just based blue. Like I'm going with blue. Don't I don't know why. I was just painting. I was I was priming space marines. I said, "Oh, I could do the hawk blue too instead of gold because I was priming a lot of things at the same time." Um and then uh the wings. I'm that's the, all I'm working on now is the wings. Uh I did the gold on them and then I went in with the with the light gray and now I'm going in with the super light gray that looks white and I'm going to try to go to a bit of white and then I think I've still got that stupid bottle of mother of pearl that i bought a long time ago that i was going to try to do the dwarf armor with to make it look like mother of pearl and failed miserably yeah i'm wondering if i can thin that a bit and put that on his wings if that might make it look kind of sharp like i've got the blue fading into the white for all the regular pigeons yeah but, but for the character model i thought maybe just leaving it all white like just bright white wings, and maybe try to put in some mother of pearl in there to get a, get a nice sheen to it. Might be cool. If it's terrible, it's terrible, man. What do I care? It's one model. Like I'm trying, I'm trying to stretch. Like I learned a lot from these Duncan videos. Like I kind of know, like, like I I kind of know what I'm doing. And then when I don't know what I'm doing, I ask Rotor. Because <laughs> mm, he good knows, guy. dude, he knows color. Like uh, seriously, like. We'll be on Skype, and I'll be like, I'll send him pictures, like like the Griffhound. Like, I did this. He's like, okay, that's good. He goes, here, add this, this, this color, shade it with this, add this to lighten it up, and it's like, that'll make it pop. And I was just like, oh, wow. And after a couple of lessons like that, you start to actually get an idea of, oh, okay, like, if I want to go with this color, I should go this way and that way and help make things pop. And I still can't blend for the life of me, but... Oh, yeah. It's looking pretty good. And if you want to paint stuff that's just really sort of bright and clean and not super blended into lots of different fading shades and stuff, but, you know, and, and Stormcast are really good for that, I'm getting good at that. <laughs> like, you know, like the, 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 the scrolls coming off of Wingy Assassin Guy are, like, nice and sharp and crisp and clean now, finally, as opposed to all the ones on the first pi- nine pigeons I did, which were kind of... Kind of crummy, yeah. So I mean, they weren't crummy, but they just weren't, they weren't crisp, you know. And that's it's a, a very hard part of the model to paint is those big arse scrolls. Yeah. So, 
Uh, I, I decided I'm not worried about so much about getting little color gradations in it. It was like I got it in, got the the, the, the in the folds. There's some dark, there's, there's some shading, and where the letters are dark and everything else. I just went in with two thin coats and made them nice and bright, and it makes everything else pop. I'm like, forget about it. It's good. It looks nice, you know. You know the the bright primaries with the red, blue, white, and gold. I'm like, let it pop. It's it works. So. But that's it. Like, that's it. And I painted half of the prime. Like, not even the base stuff, just the body. Mm. And I'm thinking I might do a toot-toot next. Because, once again, I don't toot, call toot. Um But I don't know if I'm going to dig out the Chocobo Riders. I think I might sit down and paint up. Uh, I got, like, 20 or 30 Arcanauts. And I think I can do them relatively quickly. Like, they're, they're tiny. And, yeah, they are. And... Like the color scheme that I got going with the you know the basic uh, with the Beric Nar is that the the main the you know the co- the the, the, guy, the guys in the cover yeah. yeah that that was the one we did with uh, Duncan at Adepticon when they were showing us how to do it mm-hmm. and if you're not you know once again I went in it's like okay cover all this put the wash on oh that looks good go with the highlights oh that looks good okay do another little bit of highlights okay that's great hey these look really good like this and they're so darn tiny it's you know it's like. You don't realize how easy it is to make the details look really great when your model is a third of the size of all the other models at the table. Mm-hmm. It's like the details are so small, you kind of get in there's like there's not oh there's not a lot of gradation to them because and I suppose there can be I bet there's people in there who are doing an amazing job go get you know Tyler Mingle he can go make ninety color changes in a in a one centimeter square I know he can but. Uh, you know, uh, you know, Johnny Hastings can make his dwarves. You know, they can have you know six different colors on their thing, and they could change depending on the way the light hits it. You know, mine. I'm happy with them like this, and I think I can kind of crank through them. At least I'll feel like I've been getting something done. You know, sure. And that way, if I want to play them a little more, then I can pull them out too. So that's uh, that's it for me. Cool. All right. So where um, you got any other? Because I really don't have much other at all. Um, not too much. Just finished series four of Sherlock. Not a fan of the last episode. I didn't particularly care for how it ended, but, you know, watch it and make up your own mind. Yeah, I didn't get to series four yet, so I'm going to have to do that. Yeah. And then uh, we did Great British Baking Show. We just finished that up and finishing up Orphan Black here in the next week or two. So, yeah, it's a pretty boring, unexciting time. Yeah, I got one episode of British Baking Show left, and I finished American Gods last week, so that's that. Neat. All right. Uh, well, that's all of our hobby. That's all of our stuff. And you know what? Let's break. Let's just do that. Let's break and then come back, and then let's spend the last half of this show talking about... Um, the actual topic? Yeah, and running a GT. <laughs> hey, we had a lot of... I mean, it, it, there's interesting stuff happening. That's You know, oh, yeah. you get... You know, sometimes people are like, oh, I don't, you know, your, your news segments run kind of long or, you know, I kind of skip the news. I get that. If you're not interested in what's coming up, you just want to hear the topic. But, you know, we used to be starved for news. You know, mm-hmm. there, there are shows where it's like, well, nothing announced. Let's go on. You know, it's like now it's just every week there's something to talk about. So that's, that's why it became a news network, because there's so much to talk about. So and it's all mm-hmm. real news. So. All right, we'll be back.
Are you finally looking to start your rebasing project? Six Squared Studios. Are you looking for some new and interesting resin terrain? Six Squared Studios. Are you looking for some fancy acrylic counters to keep track of wounds or maybe some other statistical anomalies? Six Squared Studios. Maybe you need a new rack for your paint? Six Squared Studios. Well, then look no further. What you need is Six Squared Studios. They ship worldwide with domestic shipping for both the U.S. and Canada. Six Squared Studios. That's right, Six Squared Studios. That's the number six, squaredstudios.ca. When your gaming needs go beyond your basic dice, tape measure, models, and paints, think Six Squared Studios. Six Squared Studios. Now all your base are belong from them. And we're back. We are back. I'm talking about grand tournaments, which is, like I said, not normally our forte. We're normally story stinking lore meisters. But we're going to talk a little bit about uh, running a GT. Now, um, I know Alex. We had a we had a, a little bit of shout out for this because we had someone who who was asking about this. You want to you want to bring that you want to talk about that part first before I get into yeah. Why I was sure. all excited about this. So uh, we got an email uh, starting on Twitter that went to email from Corey M. He is the TO for the upcoming Age of Sigmar event at the Bug Eater GT, which is in Omaha, Nebraska. That should be next summer. So 2018, I'm going to make a verbal commitment right now. I'm going to go. So make sure nice. to check it out. It uh, should be bugeatergt.com or something very similar to that. So he had sent us a, some questions about running a GT level event. He's new to running it on that level. The overall organizers tapped him to do it. So he's going to go for it. So kudos to you, Corey. And we've been trying to get this episode out to address all the questions because we thought it would be good information for people to know, just kind of in general. And we've been slackers on getting this out. So we just want to make sure that we get this out there. Corey, we were not ignoring you. We were just waiting to get this in the right spot for an episode because we feel it would be really beneficial. So there. Check yeah. it out, Bugator GT. So, um... Bug Eater GT, and now, we, when he was asking about this, this I'm, I'm more excited. I was like, "Ooh, Alex, you know, this is more for you." But so, I was sitting around a few months ago, and I was like, "Wow, there's no real big tournament in June," and I'm just used to going. Like, I don't go to a lot of tournaments. Like, you listen to the show, you know. Okay, I love Warhammer. I love. Warhammer. When I am not working or doing stuff with my family, I am pretty much doing Warhammer stuff. Okay, um, but family is a, a big responsibility, and they always come first with me because that's just who I am. So what happens is that my my tournament windows, um, you know, like the distance I can travel for a tournament is not huge. And the windows I have to go to tournaments, which is part of the restrictions on the travel distance, are few and far between. Um, 
So I, I, I go to Wapaka, um, and I know that's farther than some tournaments around here, but I just I go to Wapaka because that's what you do if you live in the Midwest. Um, I go to Adepticon, and then I go to only one or two other things in the year. And I used to go in June. There was We had one here, and it was local, and, you know, Chris, you helped run it, and it was great. And we'd go, um, and I didn't get to go the last year. Um, cause I was in Disney world, but it wound up, you know, once again, it wound up becoming a multi game system thing. And it's like, there's not an AOS tournament in the beginning of the summer that I kind of really looked forward to. Um, and I thought, man, you know what? Maybe I should think about doing something. I could probably do something. And then I thought about all the times I was talking with Chris, you, or hearing the little stories, uh, not quite behind the scenes, you know, but hearing them talking about the work they were doing and the, and sort of the hassles they the, 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 of the logistics of it. And then I realized I have no idea what I'm doing, and it, it was scary. I mean, and uh, scary is a good word. It's not just daunting. It was kind of frightening. Mm-hmm. When you start to talk about the money that they were laying down ahead of time, and and laying out and putting down and the prep work and all that with no guarantee that they would even come close to breaking even or get things going and have it turn out as well as they'd wanted it to. Um, I, uh, I don't. Even, look, I'm, I don't. I got nothing. Like I don't. I don't even know what to say about what I'm saying. Yeah, it's running a GT, especially for the first time. And when we say GT, we're talking about a grand tournament, so it's usually five to six games. You could take the knowledge you're about to drop to apply to a narrative-type event if you're going to run like a weekend campaign or anything like that. So don't think we're strictly targeting a match play-only setup. No, 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 not at all. Yeah, this is going to be more how to run a large-scale event. But we're talking and about two days where people are going to have to, like, come and commit, and it's going to be a whole weekend and probably going to want to stay somewhere. Yep. You know, because and we're talking, you know, 30-plus people. You know? 30, 40, 200. Yeah, that's what I'm saying, 30-plus. It could be anywhere from 30 yeah. to 100 to, to, you know, South Coast has 200. You know, um, it's it's you know it can be any of these sizes, and it doesn't just have to be mat- like you said, like match play. But I'm talking about something where you are committing, and people are are traveling and staying for the weekend at your Age of Sigmar event, five games minimum, not getting done in a day type of thing. Yep. You know, guys showing up on Friday, Friday night. Hanging out, playing, doing stuff. Tournament Saturday, finish tournament Sunday. People going home, mm-hmm. you know. And uh, it's 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 daunting. Like I even thought about that. And I said, "Well, if if I if I ran this, I'd really have to commit to like Thursday through Monday because there are people who are not going to leave on Sunday. No, who are going to stick around till Monday. And it's like you don't you know you don't like do you just go home and be like, well, you know, I've packed up all the tournament stuff. I'm taking it home. It's been nice seeing you. Have a night. You know, like you kind of want to 
stick around and have the people who traveled and like see them off and stuff like that too. It's like there's there's all sorts of things. Like it's a much bigger thing than just that weekend. And the more mm-hmm. I thought about it, the more I was like, oh, I have no idea, no idea where to start or what to do. Now I'm I mean that first thing obviously is you gotta you gotta figure out when you're gonna do this, and then mm-hmm. you gotta figure out where. I mean, I remember the first year, I think it was the first or second year of Blood in the Sun. I think they overlapped on some other big tournament that was, it was still like another state away. Yeah. I think it was down in Texas or something to that extent. It was a couple of states away, but it was still, uh, they, there was a big tournament that was people like, well, we usually get people from your area now you're doing this and now you're cutting into our like our expected attendance and so uh, you got to watch that, I suppose, if you want to be courteous. Yeah. And the, it was totally an accident. It was not like they were trying to, but that that's what happens. I mean, you know what I'm saying? Right. So with regards to, like, the venue and your dates, the big thing is to do research. Don't look at just one place. Check multiple places. You have to check your rates, see what they charge for table rental or if they have a food commitment or a room block commitment don't just go to one place say hi i'd like to run an event go to several and see what your options are especially for costs and then when you have go in with a date in mind if you want to run a tournament in june don't go in saying okay i want to run a tournament on this very specific weekend in june because it may be booked already or you need to be willing to be flexible and then check with other events that you may be competing with. And when I say other events, I'm talking everything nerd related, even if it's not age of Sigmar, cause people do play multiple games. If it's ninth age or like Malifaux or Batman or whatever the case may be, check across a <laughs> wide variety. What do you, don't you laugh at me? Yeah. Well, if it's Malifaux or Batman, I suppose you would want to, Step on those toes. My my point is double check. Yeah, I get you. And then obviously check holidays. I'm just being a jerk. Um, I I know. Yep. Yeah. No, I'm sorry. Keep going. Holidays so, and check all yeah. that. No, I know. I, you're right. You don't want to compete in something that's going to take away from people's ability to come to your event. Because or, there may be something else. And it's not even just the same weekend. If there's a big event the next weekend or the weekend before. That will also do it. Yeah. Your average gamer only gets so many passes to go to events, as I think everyone can relate to, unless you're Brad. Well, then, uh, okay. Or maybe unless you have no children. Yeah. If you have so, no children, that oh, I think, and I'm not, I'm not, don't, I don't want emails. I don't want hate mail. I just it seems to me that when you don't have that commitment there's a little more leeway and you can take off more. It's just that's yeah. in my experience that's what it is. Um it also helps if once again then you want best case scenario if you and your spouse both play and have no children then you got the Schwant scenario where you can basically go to a tournament every weekend if you felt so inclined. Exactly. But that's the, awesome. Yeah. The big thing you need to do is to try to maximize your chances of getting people. So make sure you do research in regards to that. Finding the venue may be tricky depending on your metro and what's in the area. And having a hotel 
attached to the venue, whether you're doing this at a hotel in their convention area or meeting area, ballroom, whatever. But that does come at an increased cost. They generally charge more to be at a hotel with rooms attached to it. So be mindful of your cost. And you're not looking to make money realistically on this. Your payout is going to be the people come and have a good time at your event. That's your payout. So you just try to break even and try not to go backwards. But you realistically, your crazy? first year, it may happen. You want to hear something crazy? What? I don't think I've ever gone to a tournament that wasn't connected to the hotel. I've been to a few where we've had to stay off site. Like I, I know a few. I, I know yeah. of them. I've just never actually... It's not that I've avoided them. I've just been fortunate enough that the ones I go to are always in hotels. Like yeah. Wapaka, you know, or, 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 or you know, uh, you know, Bits or Adepticon. And I'm always lucky enough that, that you know, somebody I know is, is booking in the actual hotel at Adepticon. I've never had to shuttle to Adepticon, mm-hmm. knock on wood. Um, that's my skull. Um, you know, Christian Bear, uh, friend of the show. Last couple of years, I've been able to stay with him, and he's he he gets in bright and early, and we wound up getting to stay at the venue at Adepticon. Um, I've never, never been to a place where I've had to commute to the venue. It's 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 kind of awesome. Uh, I kind of maybe I'm spoiled, but that's I I gotta say that's the way to go. Yeah, if you can manage it, but realistically, your costs may be excessive to do that. So yes. just be conscious of that. Uh, things like VFWs are a good option, but if you're going to go with something that doesn't have a hotel attached to it, reach out to the local hotels to say, okay, I'm running an event at the VFW or the local Shriners or whatever it is, and say, we're going to need a would you be able to accommodate us with like a room block if I recommend you guys to our attendees? And most of the time they'll say, sure. So just make sure that you reach out to uh, different venues. If you're going to be doing this, especially for the first time, consider costs. And a lot of venues will cut their rates. If you do the event as a charity, like a fundraiser. So they don't usually ask too many questions other than, okay, who are you raising money for? And that's how I got started with Screw City when I was doing events on my own. I ran it for charity for either Critter Camp or a few other different places to raise money and supplies for them. And the rate that I was getting charged went down substantially just because I was doing this as a fundraiser. So nice. something to, to consider. It's a little little nugget right there. So if you're looking to get started, that might be a good way to start up and then get people more excited about your events in future years. I mean, you don't have to do that anymore. So now as far as what to charge, people have asked me this question before, and it's like you need to cover your costs based on how many people you think you can accommodate and how many people you think you can get a draw. And this includes prize support. This includes packets. This includes any terrain you have to buy and build or anything like that. So really kind of plan out what you want to spend money on and what you're needing to cover for your costs, including paper. Don't forget that, including pens. 
just anything to kind of get a rough number of what you need to do and then divide it by how many players you can reasonably accommodate. If it's a lot of money, you may not get people all that interested. But if you can stay in like the $40, $50, $60 range, that's fairly reasonable. So if you're going to be asking for like 110 bucks for a two-dayer and you're not including a meal in there or two, that might be a little rough. Hmm. So just make sure that you show what you're going to do with the money. Because if you charge you know, like 70 80 bucks, but if you don't actually show why you needed to charge that much money or at least justify it rationally, then maybe you're asking too much money. So it's just my thoughts on that. Yeah, that's um, a, and that's kind of a thing because I know – a couple I've gone to, they've, you know, this is how much it costs. And then if you want to get in on food, that's, that's a little extra. Yeah. And because they've set up a deal with uh, some place. Um, I, I know. Either the venue or an outside caterer right. or something to that extent. It just depends on what you have available. Right. Now, and I've, and I see, and I, I even worry about that sometimes because I've heard, I've heard a couple of stories. I heard, I know I was at one tournament and I heard, and it was rumor, so I'm not naming places and things like that because you hear a rumor. You know, they had, you know, hey, if you want to do an all, this, it was like, you know, one of those, hey, you know, if you want to sign up for, you're going to have an all-you-can-eat thing, you're going to bring in pizza or whatever. And, sure. um the place had quoted them a price and brought it in. And, um, dude, you had 100 hungry gamers, you know what I mean? Oh, yeah. Uh, and they went through the food, and they're like, um, "They're still eating." You, where's you know? And the place turned around and was like, um, "You know, we're going to charge you more because we didn't expect you were going to eat this much." And it's like, "Well, what the?" <laughs> I was thinking, "How how you set up an all you can eat and then turn around and be like, you ate too much on all you can eat?" Like, I get that you planned X for X, but you, I mean, so I mean, I suppose that's something you got to take into consideration when you're doing that too, like. If you are going to set up some food stuff, make sure that you have that all planned out and, and figured out, you know, because especially if it happens to be if you're sourcing it from the venue, you, know, you can't yeah. turn around and be like, no, we had a deal because then they're like, OK, we had a deal. And then, and then if you actually like the place, you, they, they won't have you back, I suppose, if you turn around and fight and tell them, no, I'm not paying you. Um, yeah. And when you get into the contracts talk with your venues and you start running through the numbers – Ask them what their policy is on outside food and beverage because realistically it doesn't matter what you throw in front of some people. They're not going to go for it. If it's like a pre-made food or something like that, they may do something cheaper. They may do something more expensive. They may want to bring in their own outside alcohol. So make sure to ask those questions. And alcohol is one of those things. It just depends on you as a TO. If you want to do a dry event or if you want to do – an event with drinks. So just make sure to ask, especially about alcohol for outside alcohol, because some of them will say, no, you can't have outside alcohol because that will violate our liquor license, especially in the great state of Illinois. Yeah. So make sure to ask that question and don't say that you're trying to encourage people to bring in outside alcohol. You just want to tell people what they can and cannot do. It's this way you're not causing a problem for the hotel and there's less likelihood of something bad happening. So you're trying right. to minimize your risk there. So um, 
that's really the big stuff on the venue and the dates. I mean, so are there any other questions that you that, have? But that'll even take a while. Like I said, if, if I'm going to go visit four or five, six places, I mean, you're talking spending a good several evenings going around or day, you know, depending on your schedule, just shopping places in the beginning, aren't you? I mean, yeah, if you're really looking around. It does around, take a little while. I mean, this, and, this is not, I mean, I guess, you know, I've done a bunch of little one-day things, and I, I, I set those types of things up, and it's just... It's not all that hard to do a one-day event at a small local game store, you know? And then mm-hmm. you just, this is – there's the commitment. you got to be committed to this. Like, And I'm not trying to say it like it's a negative thing or that people should shy away from it. I'm just like, you know, if you want to do this, go for it. But just – it's still – this seems like something to me just – it still boggles the mind that so many people do this to me. Yeah, it's a special kind of stupidity that you have <laughs> that you want to do it. But again, realistically, what you're trying to do is to help grow the community to get people together and be a part of that, whether you're running a match play event or a narrative campaign or whatever it is. You're trying to grow the community and really make a stand. Speaking and- of community, how what do you do to promote? Like, I mean, you're starting your own local... I mean, I, you know, you can go to TGA.community. You could, you could go to a website. You could go to a forum and just forum blast it. Okay, that's great. But not everyone checks those. Right. And with the amount of content that goes on a forum, you should still do it. But then you should try to do something more targeted. If you put together a Facebook page or a website, depending on what your level of technical expertise is, Go for that, and then make sure to plug the ever-loving cack out of it. Uh-huh. And then you get on, and you reach out to the podcasters in your area, or even not in your area. I mean, I've plugged Adepticon on Heel and Hammer. I've plugged it all over the place, because that's where my population pool is. And if you've got a tournament, reach out to local podcasters or people that do stuff that interacts with the community. I mean, heck, you can even reach out to Games Workshop, and they have a community calendar that you can ask to have your event listed there. I mean, that's a thing. So it's just try to figure out all the different avenues that you have to promote and make sure you promote in advance. And if if you're really – I mean, if you're on the ball and you've got some nice promotions with some, you know – good pictures taken and you've got stuff planned out and stuff prepped you can get people to come from pretty much all over the world i mean people do yeah and like it's crazy is, how far yeah people come from well i mean adepticon is something different but even like at midwest meltdown martin orlando drove out from new jersey mm-hmm. to play in that event because i just said hey we're doing a tournament in july domus is running it if you're coming out, you should come. And that's all it took for yep. Martin to come on out. So it's it's possible. You just got to reach out and get involved with all the different people in the community that are kind of your leaders. And if, you've, if you're running a tournament near like one of the big three, whether it's Adepticon, LVO, or Nova, reach out to that tournament organizer and say, hey – you know, how do you guys promote? Can I get involved? How can 
we make this like a partnership. It's a lot of networking too. So you do need some aspect of social skills. So I'm out. You know, yeah, we know. <laughs> but, Thank you. Yeah. So just do what you can and make it work and don't stop. I mean, you're going to see your registrations come in and they may not be the numbers that you want. But if you're going to do this, you have to keep trying and you have to keep going. So this is a lot of this is the perseverance type step where it's you have to keep going, keep pushing and keep trying, trying, trying. So this is yeah. not I think I think I mean a lot of tournaments I, I I hear that are doing their first tournament either they start small and they sell out but they're small or they have a lot of room and they sell out most of it if they promote the heck out of it like I guess you shouldn't be too discouraged if you have a pretty big a potential at the beginning and you're not filling it up that huge on your first go. Yeah, I mean, the first GT that I ran, well, the first one-day tournament that I ran was about 20-something people. The first GT I ran outside of Adepticon was about 40. That was core comp still. And then Screw City, once I started on my own, I was about 30. So realistically, you may not get these like massive numbers that you'll see for like LVO, Adepticon, Nova, whatever, but you have to start somewhere. So... Again, success is not going to be measured by how many people you have at the event, but the quality of the time that people have at your event. That's how you're going to get more people. The strongest way to promote is word of mouth. So, especially after your first year, when people say, oh man, I went to Bob's tournament and I had such a great time, I'm going to go back next year and I'm going to tell my buddies to go next year because it was such a great time. That's going to be your primary referral source for years beyond your first one. So the first one's the hardest. After that, it gets a little easier. Cool. Um, let's hit one more, one more uh, mini little you know question here before we go to another break. Um, all right. So I've got my venue, and they've got tables, and. Whether I know people who have long the, the felt rolls, because I know people who have lots of felt rolls at this point. If I don't know mm-hmm. if Chris you still has them all in his basement, um, or mats, or whatever it is you get, you got to make tables. And we can't all be sociopaths like Steve Herner and make, <laughs> or the bear, and make these just amazing giant themed tables full of stuff. Um, but we all have to have terrain mm-hmm. and. I mean, with Age of Sigmar, you gotta have like ten or twelve pieces of terrain on the table. Yeah, it's gone are a the lot. days of five to six pieces of terrain. Mm-hmm. I mean, sometimes I can see people looking back at seventh and missing the one foot radius circle in the dead center of the board that you couldn't put terrain in. Yeah, the circle of death. Yeah, but, I mean, realistically, the formula changed when we switched from fantasy to age of sigmar especially even like a large-scale event like adepticon our terrain did not keep up with it realistically because we still had all of this terrain that was really good for seventh and eighth edition and even sixth because there wasn't the level of terrain interaction and you could right. seriously replicate the map across all of your tables and it was very like cookie cutter and it has very specific formula 
two or three forests, two or three hills, one to two other things, um, whether that's buildings or fences. If you had a water feature, oh, that was amazing. But everybody hated playing on the water feature table. Because <laughs> so, crossing a river was a pain. It was back then. It is not that way anymore. Not nearly as bad. But you need a lot of terrain. I mean, you need line of sight blockers. You need stuff to have to move around. You need stuff to get to get into. Um, it's 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 more important now than I think yes, it was. It's much more important. So, I mean, a forty-person event is twenty tables, which mm-hmm. is. 200 to 240 pieces of terrain. Depending on how big they are and what you're going to do with them. So yeah. let's, I mean, okay, 10 to 12, let's say 8 to 12. So, you know, yeah. 160 to 240 pieces of terrain. Still. That's a lot. That's a lot. I mean, that's a lot to, I mean, you know, you can't just go out and buy all GW terrain at that point, as, as nice no. as that might be, you know, to have realm gates all over all the tables and. Oculums and things. That's that you you go right to the to the poorhouse. I mean, that's, yeah. At a certain point, that becomes very cost prohibitive. Yeah. So you're looking at the big terrain pieces. You're going to be looking at are trees, uh, linear obstacles that block line of sight of varying heights. Hills are kind of useless in Age of Sigmar unless they're tall enough to do like line of sight blocking or seeing over things. But at that point. It, then becomes more like a rocky outcrop or like a massive column. And that kind of stuff you can make out of like pink foam. There are plenty of tutorials on how to make terrain for effective costs. There's a lot of companies that will sell trees. All you have to do is cut out the MDF bases. So there's plenty of tutorials out there to do terrain relatively on the cheap. So... Yeah, I the mean, at this point, you just need to find is, someone who can cut you up the the bait, your forest base, the same as those GW forest bases. Yeah, and it doesn't mm-hmm. even have to be that way. No, um, especially for your terrain. Yeah, yeah. Keep it simple. Just make it work, and that's what it's about. And again, if you're only doing like maybe a forty man tournament or forty player event, whatever the case may be, you're only looking at about you know 160 pieces. Which is a lot, don't get me wrong, but if you've got some houses and you can even find those at like Hobby Lobby or a Michaels or something like that, that may be useful. Or my personal favorite is to do like, uh, what do you call it? Like the Spirit Halloween stores. the All the different skulls and stuff after they get through Halloween that are hanging around. If that doesn't make perfect Realm of Beasts or Realm of Death terrain, I don't know what does. Hmm. So... That's a neat little spot to pick up cheap terrain that is going to be lightweight and movable because all that stuff is cheap plastic, and all it takes from you is a repaint. Uh-huh. So something to consider. Oh, and fences, dollar tips. Well, we try and we try and and fences that can be made with you know whatever stuff you have. There's plenty of different tutorials, so just make sure to do your research, see what's realistically feasible, and just kind of go through there. Hi, dog. Um, so rude. Yeah. Oh. Um. So as far as like how much of the train should be line of sight blocking, 
of your chunk of table, you should have maybe three, four or more should be line of sight blocking as far as like sizes. How I'm kind of gauging stuff is to do like on the bigger end, you're going to cover a core grass and I'm trying to think of a model that comes in the starter set that people will know about the proximate height. So on a tall end, you're going to be looking to cover a core grass and on the average end, you're covering a liberator. So gotcha. kind of that varying height, it doesn't have to be consistent, but somewhere in that range. And with Age of Sigmar, we have a lot of very big models. And I'm looking at you, Archeon, Lords of Change, Alarial, uh, the Prime, Gordrak. A lot of those models are gigantic. We didn't have anything like that in previous editions of this game. Nope. So realistically, it's unrealistic to expect to have terrain to block it for those big models. And that's just the nature of the beast right now is you're not going to be able to block line of sight to those models. They're just too big. Try it. Do it. If you can, if you've got some towers or some really big pieces, that's fine, but don't, don't make that a top priority. So you should be able to cover most of the smaller ones on the big scale and realistically that's just the risk you take with a big model so yeah yeah you're not going to be able to hide if you're trying to hide arcan i don't know that you're playing him right but that's you know if you're playing up against like a gun line or something your gameplay is going to be to hide him but at a certain point how can you hide a 13 inch model from tip to tip exactly that's that's the thing though you chose him you better play you better charge him in because He's, he ain't hiding. That's not a guy who would hide. No. So, all right. I think I think that's all I had. Um, might be interesting to, uh, like I said, I, I, I look when I go to a place like a Hobby Lobby or a Michael's or even the pet store, I'm always looking for things that might look like the... Uh, Mystical terrain. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Stuff, stuff that might look like, uh, you know, a deadly or a, or a whatever. Whatever the, you know, the, the different, the arcane, the different things that are going to come up. So, so, oh, this could be this thing. Mm-hmm. So then you could throw it down on a table and, and just have it look like that. So that's what I look for. Because I like playing with those rules. I really do. Um it's just it's a, it's another just another layer of stuff you have to consider and think about and take into take into your consideration when you're playing adds an extra level of complexity to the game um that I tended to skip a lot when I first started playing it because I was just trying to get all, everything down and and teach people how to play right so um hmm. Do you want to take a break real quick and come yeah, back I think talk we should. about the rest of Turan? Let's do that. a lot more. Yeah, let's talk about the rest of the that and then um, some of these other things we wanted to chit-chat about. I had a couple more questions. So let's take a break, like you said. And when we come back, uh, I think we'll get through the rest of this. That's the plan. See if we do it. <laughs> yeah. All right, we'll be back.
unique gifts and games in Grays Lake, Illinois is your one-stop shop for all your gaming needs. They carry anything your gamer may want, from board games, collectible card games, miniature-based games, and all your hobby gaming supplies are there. UGG has it all. Come into the store and ask about their frequent buyers program. Check out their events calendar, in-store or online. From Tuesday night miniature games and Thursday night board games to Friday night magic, there's always something going on at Unique Gifts and Games in Grays Lake, Illinois. Check them out on the web at uniquegg.com. And we are back talking terrain placement, all the cool things with terrain and wood. We got to talk about it. We got to talk about the wood. And I don't mean Settlers of Catan. Yeah. Forests are tricky in Age of Sigmar. Only because we now have armies that summon forests. And there's a lot of conjecture about, do you remove the trees? when you move through them? And the answer should be no. I agree Realist. with you on that. Um, yeah. Now, I, I, have, I have gotten to the point where I am putting, I try to put the leaves on the trees. I just like how they look. And they fall off a bunch, and then I have to go get plastic weld and, and, and glue them back on, and they stick on funny. But I like the leaves on the trees. Now, normal-sized models have trouble... Like you're kind of sliding them under the trees to get them around the tree trunks and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, I've I've talked to people who, um, like you know, when you're playing, especially in a casual game. All right, if you want to remove, like you, I know they fit under the tree. It's just a pain to reach under there and move them, and you don't want to scratch up your model or knock over something. So they will pull the tree and say, okay, where that stump mark is, the -hmm. tree's still there. It's just that model can fit. We're just being practical. Right. Um, Not moving it because your model can't possibly fit, Um, Mm -hmm. which I had happen with me when I didn't even realize that um, I had someone playing Sylvaneth when they had just put down the the, um, mouse pad material shape without any trees when they put down their forest. Yep. And then Alarial just barely made it fit into there the way they had it set up. And I was like, okay, I guess she's in. Never thought about it. There's no way she's in. There's got to be a tree there somewhere. But Right. I see what... So, so I'm sorry, keep going. No, no. Um, so if you look at the Games Workshop Wildwoods, or if you've been to Adepticon and are familiar with the train that we use... All of our trees have like ring cutouts in the base that the tree stands in. So so you can remove the tree. But if you just say to your players, okay, if you're going to move a model in there and it's a pain in the butt to move around with all the branches and cool stuff, pull the tree out. But then you can't occupy the same space as that circle. And you can't draw a line of sight through it because there's a freaking tree right there. (laughs) So just it's really common sense but a lot of people have that holdover type of mentality from previous editions where when we ran into a tree all the 
all that we did was we pulled the trees out and then move our units in there. And it's like, oh, be up there and cover. It's like, okay. But in Age of Sigmar, we now have skirmish-type units. Terrain you get more interactive with. Don't be a knob. This is just how it goes. Before it was far more abstract because your units oh, did yes. those formations. And now it's like, no, you guys break up into little groups and you have to make everybody fit. Mm-hmm. So that's the big thing that you need to address as far as, like, the actual gameplay with trees. Now, for Adepticon, when you're going to be bringing Wildwoods, playing Sylvaneth, you should really be expecting your players to have the exact same footprint as the GW Wildwood, as well as the placement and height and dimensions of the trees. Because that's part of the model, realistically. And if you're not including that, you are significantly changing how your army plays on the table and how other players interact with it. So now, if you're if, now, let's say you did that thing where you bought a mouse pad, and it, maybe it's even got printed. It looks like a forest on the printout. Maybe you don't have the trees to put on it. You should at least get those circles. Mark out, a yeah. couple, mark out the spots at least where they would be. I mean, if you're doing the same footprint and you're not even going to bother with some trees of some mm-hmm. sort, at least mark out the, those the three those those spots. Yeah, so, this is where they would be. Change. I know they're not here, but we're going to count that as you can't see through it. And that that's that's just being that's just playing fair at that point, you know. Correct. So, um, now placement of terrain is something that I think gets really overlooked, but you, you're going to have to do it setting up for the event. So there's two main rules that I go by. Well, first of which is you make it look cool. Because if it's not a table that you want to play on, that's that doesn't help anybody. It's got to look cool. We're playing a more thematic game and a more exciting game. You need to make sure the table looks the part. And then make it a table that you would actually voluntarily play on. Don't overcomplicate it, but still keep it interesting. So what you're going to want to do is have terrain be everywhere. You don't need to have each table be the exact same layout. We've moved past that. So you're just going to need to pay attention to the random terrain elements if you go that route. It's just so you don't stack multiples of the same close to each other. Because if you have like three or four mystical pieces where on a one, the unit can decide not to cooperate. And if you have to take multiple tests, it's going to significantly change how that board plays. So just make sure you're checking those. Yeah, I didn't even think about that. Yeah. And the other trick that you have to keep an eye on is you need to give Sylvaneth spots to place Wildwoods. And have them be beneficial, but not to the point where that they can dominate the table with them. Do you really? So, you do. Do you? If you specifically design your tables to where placing of Sylvaneth Wildwoods is nigh impossible, then you're doing a discredit to your players. I know. I'm just being a jerk. I know. But <laughs> I still got to advocate for the peeps. Just no, I know. No, you're right. You're right. You need to leave him some room. You don't have to leave him enough room to put a, a full three here and a full three over there. You know what I'm saying? You don't have to right. let it get abusive, but you need at least at least a spot where they can put a pair together. Right. You know? And 
realistically, if you've left a spot of the table that would be barren enough for somebody to get three Wildwoods on there, you've probably done something wrong. Especially if you don't have a Sylvaneth player playing on that table every game. Because then you've left this massive chunk of table bare, and that doesn't create interesting games, realistically. So what I do is I have a couple of the GW Wildwoods, and I take the templates with me. So, so when I go and set up terrain, I can get a good approximation of what I can do in the spaces that have been created. Interesting. So, little tip for you there. Um, nice. So there's that. And then the random terrain elements, like deadly, mystical, inspiring, whatever, from the main section of the rules, those need to be incorporated in your games. They make the games more interesting, and it makes it more involved. And the terrain actually does something besides block line of sight and give cover. It does other things. You don't have to have them... Be like, okay, there's 10 pieces of terrain. Roll for every piece. You don't have to go crazy. No, no, you don't have to. You, you can certainly just be could. like, you know, w- you know, roll for three pieces. Or, you know, like I think at Adepticon, there was, you know, these two pieces in this scenario are this. Yeah. So we did that last year, and I don't think that worked as well. I think we need to do more to mix it up. Now, what Domus did for the Midwest Meltdown is he took, like, little wooden cubes from like Hobby Lobby or Michaels, I think they were just made out of what do you call it, like balsa. And he would put the, all the train down, and then he would roll a dice for whatever train feature, and then he would write the number down on the cube in Sharpie and put it on there. So this because not everyone's going to have awesome stuff like scenery dice from scenerydice.co.uk, but realistically, you still need to make it interesting and it takes all the random stuff out of your opponent out of your players hands because you set it and then if there's multiple chunks of the same terrain you make the choice right there to move it so it gives you a lot more control but still has the random element nice and that's probably the direction we're going to be heading with adepticon going forwards just in general because it does make things more interesting, but to have like multiple pieces of the same terrain feature, it just didn't work uh, for what we did with Adepticon. So <clears throat> I think that's where we're going to be going. Interesting. So Yeah, there's a lot to it. Um, let's see. So what do we want to talk about next? Um, okay, so we got our venue. We've been promoting it. Um we haven't even talked about setting up a way so people could pay you and, and get signed up and all that oh, stuff. Oh, PayPal and email. That's that's no big deal. It's just you have to keep on it and confirm that you got payment and make sure to state your refund policy. So oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Really good question. After so a certain date. You only get X back or whatever because you still need to cover your costs. And, yeah, that is a really good thing. Thank you, Dave. I'm sorry if you're pulling out the week before, but now I can't replace you, and I got to cover the cost. I see what you're saying. Um, so you get all that set up. You got your tables now. You got your terrain. Um, I suppose you got to have some scenarios. Now, uh, I mean, even now, you're going to have some scenarios, even if you're just playing straight-up match play. 
Um, if oh, you're yeah. going to be playing narrative play, now I guess some of the terrain setup and stuff. If you're playing narrative play, um, might you might approach differently. Right. Um, you might literally tell players just roll for every piece of terrain, or you might say, "Look, you know, you're going to be coming in from weird angles, so set these up here or set those up there." Maybe not setting up the exact setup of every board, but just you know, move these things to this side at least, so that way you can get some sort of a a semblance of whatever your 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 story your your board can represent the story that you're telling. So, I guess board setup will vary depending on the type of tournament you're running um Mm -hmm. and then the scenarios will too um it could be as simple as you know a basic setup and uh primary secondary tertiary objective um you know and you're earning points that way um it could be something like coalescence where you're earning points actually a lot more points for for Having things happen during the game, as a, and, and and a smaller percentage being actually winning the game. Mm-hmm. But um, how do you approach scenarios? I mean, I know you write a lot of your own. You have for a long time, and I've always enjoyed them. Secret yeah. agent man. Yeah, the the secondaries that we've been incorporating that that fixes that fix. But if you're just getting started, keep it simple. Straight out of the handbook works just fine. And even in AOS, I've tried writing my own scenarios, and they just kind of fell flat. I don't feel like I've done the best of jobs writing scenarios. And realistically, with their modality on the handbook, how they're going to be updating it every year, and it looks like we're getting new scenarios every year. So realistically, you could probably just get away with doing any given scenario and then add secondary or tertiary objectives for doing random things throughout the course of the game to keep it interesting. But you have to make sure that whatever you're doing for these objectives are actually feasible. So make sure you play test it. Now I, I was reading it. I don't, but I don't know if it's in Blood and Glory that's coming up that Ben Curry's running or something like that, or someone already ran it. I, I listen to so many podcasts; it becomes a blur at some point. Mm-hmm. But um, or maybe it's just the new. Oh, you know what I think it was. I think I was listening to. I was listening to Ben Curry talk about one of the new objectives in the the book where um, you you have to have monsters and heroes only grabbing objectives. Yep, that changes everything, right there. Mm-hmm. That's a huge change because normally you kind of you, you either want to avoid the hero or you're going to pile on that guy to uh, you know to try to take him out because he's important but he's tough. Or, or else you know, you're, or else you're trying to protect that guy. Now you got to throw him right out there in the front. That's a great little bit um, of of a switch in a scenario. Yeah. yeah, we didn't even talk about that part when we were talking earlier today. That I, I'm I'm I'm, I'm kind of keen on that particular scenario. Um, mm-hmm. I like the idea of making other things important in yes. the in the in the in the uh, you know other ty- unit types becoming important in mm-hmm. different scenarios. Yeah. So make sure that you get a good mix and make them scenarios that are actually like fun and enjoyable. Cause like take and hold is so very basic and that's fine. You need simple scenarios, but it's just not Which one's as taken exciting. Hold? That's the one where you've got an objective marker in the middle of your deployment zone 
and you have to try to get your opponents and yours under your control at the same time. Okay. Oh, right, 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 it's, right. It's capture the flag, but it's so damn boring. Well, then they got the one where there's two on the uh, it, two on two in no man's land, right on the right on the center line. Yeah, and then one so in yours I, and one in theirs, and then you get points for you know more points, obviously for having theirs, less for yours, even in the middle, um, just moving them around a little bit. But I remember when we, you know when I'm teaching people these, when I'm teaching them, once they know how to play the game, you start teaching them scenarios. I remember Mikey and Brandon being like, "So are all the scenarios? All is every scenario in the book just moving around where these objectives are and holding them?" I'm like, "Well, no, but kinda." Like you know, mm-hmm. um, you know there's, there's, that's that's a that's sort of a big thing. So I think you know coming up with some of those other ones. Um, I know, didn't you put in as a, for the tertiary? You could pick one of the uh, sudden death scenarios. Yeah, I mean, it's just do something that you think is cool and go with it. If it doesn't work, it doesn't work. Fix it. It's not that hard. So yep. just a matter of being willing to try something and, and try to publish your packs out ahead of time. So this way players can look at them and then you can tweak it as they ask you questions. And with fix it comes in the whole idea of you better probably plan to play test it. Yeah, if you don't play test your scenarios or specific objectives, you've done something wrong, son. Yeah, because someone's going to find a flaw in this, and you're not going to have any clue what they're talking about or how to approach it. Right. Um, so, like, now I'm in a weird spot with, like, Dragonfall, which is in October, and I'm running an AOS tournament there. I haven't put out the pack yet because I've been waiting for the handbook to drop. So I have, like, a general idea, but I want to get my whole pack out, but you're kind of hampered here. So just watch your timing. But oh, if you true. can get to Dragonfall, go to Dragonfall. Okay. Four games, 1,000 points, one day. Uh, so just take a gander at that. Sorry, shameless plug. So, um, and then you're going to make sure that you have someone who doesn't play the game go through your packet as well as someone who does. Because they will often see things that someone who does play may miss. Carrie Ann, my wife, doesn't play, but she reads through all my packets just to make sure that it looks correct. And things that are there that need to be there, like your schedule, is in there, which you should publish in advance so players know how long they have for games. Oh, yeah. And that's something we haven't really touched. Like, a 1K game can take anywhere between an hour, hour and a half, depending on players or armies. And realistically... Like, I know in the handbook, it'll give you, like, an approximate time for the points value that you're playing, but that doesn't always take into consideration everything else. So, even for, like, a 2K game for Adepticon next year, I'm looking at, like, 2 hours, 45 minutes per game because there's just so much to do. Hmm. So, it's something that you got to be cognizant of and make sure... Because you will have players that play quickly, and then you'll have players that don't play quickly. Tom McClure! Um, I'm one of those. Honestly, I just don't play quick enough. I don't. Yeah. I try, and I try to keep that in mind. Um, I find that when I'm trying to rush, though, and get my games done, um, I just I don't I I don't know. I feel I don't know. Like I think I think at times when I when I'm concentrating on the game, I don't 
always look like I'm having a really good time because I'm not sort of laughing and joking. I'm concentrating on the game. And not that you got to laugh and joke and be a fool, but when I start focusing and concentrating, I'm focusing and concentrating. Like, I, I'm not laughing and smiling. I'm, you know, I got a serious face on and I'm trying to get this done and get done on time. And I've had people say, you know, oh, you know, something happens and suddenly, like, you just realize that, okay, this. The game kind of broke open, and it's not going to last that much longer. We're going to get done in time, and suddenly my demeanor completely relaxes, whether it mm-hmm. breaks in my favor or against me. And people are like, "Oh well, geez, what what you know you 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 know your your whole thing." And people mentioned it. I was playing with Dale Bartz, and he was like, "Wow, that you just changed now that that happened." And I was like, "No, I've been having a good time this whole time, but now I can relax a little bit because it's like." I can see I, the end is in sight, and I know we're going to get done in time because I always kind of worry about that, especially because I used to play a lot of zombies, and I was always pushing all that extra forward and trying to find ways to cut the time down. That's just mm-hmm. me. Another sidetrack that you got me on. Thanks a lot. Sorry. Your um, fault. All yours. Yeah. And then for turn like packs, copy formats that work, like either ones that we use for Adepticon or South Coast GT or Blood and Glory, or whatever, like, look at the bigger tournaments for experienced people that have done this, and you can copy the format. I mean, at the end of the day, you need to put together a pack that works, and honestly, imitation is the most sincere form of flattery. So just make sure to check with the TO, that respective event, and say, hey, I just need to copy the format of your particular packet. And most of the time, they're going to say, yeah, sure, I don't care. But at least be courteous and ask. Sure. It's generally the way to do it. Okay, so we've got scenarios, we've got packets, we've got tables, we've got the money taken in. We're at the venue. People are showing up. Um, Hopefully we've got enough help. (laughs) Help. Yeah, that's (laughs) that's a good one. Um, Realistically, trying to get people to volunteer is like pulling teeth. Uh, Because most of the time, you're going to be pulling from your local crew to help you run this event, but they're going to want to play in it. I know I've had problems for years where I've run tournaments by myself, where it's just me and Carrie Ann. So realistically, try to get as much help as you can. You're going to need someone to operate a computer. You're going to need someone to walk around and be your main rules guy to answer questions. You're probably going to need someone to paint judge if you're not going to do it. So your staffing issue, realistically, you're looking at about two or three guys and or gals to run an event. So just keep in mind you need to try to get help. And setting up all this stuff, all this terrain, your players that show up early will probably be willing to help you. Same with tearing it down. But the actual running of the event, they can't help you. Right. So make sure you've got like another one or two people and – be real with them. It's like, this is work. You're going to have fun hanging out with everybody, but when games are going, you got to work. So just be prepared for that. Right. So, um, let's see. Okay. So now we got all that and now we got to start entering the scores. And I know there are now, I mean, I've only run small things where I can literally run an Excel spreadsheet. Um, one time I couldn't get it working on the computer and I literally just wrote the spreadsheet out on a piece of paper because I knew what the spreadsheet looked like and I just handed it. I mean, we had like 10 people and I just handled it. Uh, you start to get larger events that obviously doesn't work. Um, I know you used Excel for years. Um, 
but there are scoring programs now for this type of thing, isn't there? I mean, you're, we're we we because you know I do a lot of stuff at Adepticon. Uh, you will be using WarScore, uh, Bill Robertson's yeah. program. Will yeah, you not? That's the uh, program we're going to be moving towards, and the. Big reason, like there's a lot out there right now besides WarScore. One of the other big ones is Best Coast Pairings, and there are a few others. If you're familiar with Excel, Bill Robertson designed WarScore to look similar to an Excel document. So this way, you can. There's a little easier of a crossover there. Mm-hmm. But at the end of the day, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter to me what program you use, as long as you are comfortable with it and you know how to make it dance. Because realistically, you're going to be spending a lot of time with this particular software or program entering in information. And you need to do this accurately and quickly, which is not easy at all. So make sure that you are very familiar with how your software operates. Do test runs where you seriously just have people come up and give you numbers, give you papers to see if you really like how the system works, especially for a larger event. If you're going to be doing like 80 to 200 people, you're going to need to have some practice on how to enter in scores quickly and accurately. If you're doing 20, 30, you can have a little more leeway because you don't have as much to enter. So just be cognizant of that. But at the end of the day, you need to make sure that you know how your system works. And if there's a problem, you need to know how to fix it quickly. So you got to practice on that like uh, what it comes down to you got to practice that as well as everything else yeah okay um what else so we go through all that uh, prices are always important um, yeah uh, i i am a huge fan of the trophy prize um, yes as opposed to the big box of stuff prize Oh, big I mean, box of stuff nothing... is nice. There's nothing wrong with it. Yeah. Um, a lot of times you get a big box of stuff that isn't what you're what you're playing, though. Or you know what I'm saying? Yeah. And I think I can safely say that the majority of players that you will want at your event don't really care about getting more toys. They probably have enough. They're going to be more concerned about getting the trophy, getting the recognition, the bragging rights, the thing that says that they achieved. But at the end of the day, you may be giving them toys, but they may not use it, and it just ends up on eBay or Twitter or Facebook or whatever. So what you could do if you're going to have product is you can raffle it off to everyone, and it's not like a participation ribbon, so don't think of it that way. But this way you spread out your price support pool to maximize your value and players' feedback on experience. It's like, okay, I most of your players that are going to be showing up are not going to be winning awards. So true. at least with like raffling away stuff, you're still giving them something to make their time and, their time and money worth at least some sort of value, even if it's something that they didn't pay for. Oh, so gotcha. that's something that you can do and get – if you can do trophies, I've done uh, beer glasses and uh, shot glasses and all these different kinds of glasses that you can get etched. Uh, Glasswithatwist.com is a really great one. Bits use that for years. I've used them for a long time to do my trophies when I run events. 
Adepticon has those big honking medals, which is just it just depends on the event that you're running. And again, your costs. You can do certificates and most people won't care. Again, it's the bragging rights and the achievement that they did something. So okay. do it nice, but and then like the awards you're gonna be looking at for the most common, you're gonna be looking at best overall for the event. Uh, best general for each grand alliance, so it's like who's got the highest score, like battle wise. Overall is going to be everything battle, sports, paint, etc. And then you're going to be looking at best paint and best sports awards. And those are kind of the big seven that you'll see at most GTs, mm-hmm. most events. You can always do a player's choice for appearance, painting, cool factor, whatever, but that does get to be very labor intensive. For voting, because for every person that you have at your event, they can accumulate any number of votes. So you have to be very careful with your counting. And if you don't have the staff to do it, don't do it. Don't kill yourself like that. It's not worth it. Mm -hmm. So that's kind of the big thing for prizes, I think. And then the last subject do we want to take a break and then talk about it and then wrap it up or what do you want to do you know what it's, it's one last thing let's just let's just keep going let's just okay do the last thing and then wrap up the show sure um so the last thing that you need to address is the things you don't know about <laughs> it's the unexpected stuff and when i say unexpected it's mistakes it's people issues, problems with scenarios, things you just didn't see. And to be perfectly honest, I've never run a perfect scenario. There's always something that goes wrong. It's just inevitability. A perfect scenario or a perfect tournament? Yes. Okay. Perfect tournament. You're never going to hit the scenario where everything is perfect because it's just unrealistic. It's going to go wrong somewhere, somehow, And, like, player conflicts, rules problems, those are the ones that if you're lucky, you're happy to get those. With Adepticon, when we were out in the tent years before, it flooded. So now we have a gaming area where it's (laughs) literally flooded. Or Raj Podges that have had uh, leaks in the ceiling. So you have entire sections of your room they can't use anymore because water's coming in. Or you lose power, or somebody clogged the toilet, and you've got all that nastiness coming out. So you have to be prepared for bad things to happen, but you can't prevent them all the time. And realistically, it's not going to be mistake-free. It's how you handle the mistake that counts, or handle the issue. And if, especially if it's a people thing, just remember, they are still people, even if they're being... It's just how it goes. So, it's just... It's not going to go perfectly. Try to take a deep breath. I mean, I, as a TO, and as a person, I still get really frustrated after dealing with problems. Because I want it to go very... I want it to go perfect. And sometimes you're going to need to vent, but do it right. Don't like start yelling and spouting, which I've been known to do because <laughs> I ha- no, I have it in my head that everything's going to be perfect. Everything's going to be great. 
and it doesn't happen. Oh, I've, so, I've no, I've seen you get this way. I've seen you stress out over the little things at times, and it's like, dude, you know, I've said it to you, you, you know, this is one of the little things. Yeah, but you still take ownership. This is still your project, and you want it to go as smooth as you possibly can, and you just forget it in the moment. It's really hard to do. Yeah, not everyone's. I mean, I don't have a lot of grace on that, but. It's just, I want everyone to have a good time. And it really bothers me when things go sideways. But you just have to try and manage it. And just be prepared that things are going to go wrong. Get it fixed in a calm and orderly fashion. And if you need to bitch about it later, that's fine. If you need to get mad, that's fine. Just try to keep it under control. Um, I think another thing to recognize is you're going to be asked to make calls, yeah. whether it be rules or people or things like like you're talking about. And you're going to have to make a call on things, and you may get the call wrong, mm-hmm. whether it's a rules call or a call about something that's happening or just a decision you're making. Um, and when I say get the call wrong, I mean, you could get a call where – uh, on something that's happening at the venue that you're like, well, this is what, how we're going to do this. And, you know, maybe it's maybe your decision a lot of people didn't like. You know, mm-hmm. it's not something that affected the game per se, but it was just a decision that was made by you when it came up that was not a po- – listen, it, that, I think that's that's going to happen too. You yeah. know, I mean, I've, I haven't run tournaments, but I've run other things. I've directed plays and done shows and things like that. And you make calls where you have the things going on live. You have to make a call. And after the show, you're like, Oof, that was the wrong call. And all you can do is admit it was the wrong call. Say, well, now we know. Hopefully mm-hmm. it didn't mess anything up so bad that it, that's on, that it, you can't fix it. And you move on from there. That's going to happen, too. You have to understand that sometimes... Things aren't going to go the way you wanted them to go, and there's not a darn thing you can do about it. Yeah. So you deal with that as best you can, you know. And, you know, so one last quick thing, and then we're going to wrap up the show. You got your place. You got your date. You got your money. You set up your tables. You got your scenarios. You got your people, you ran your scores, you ran your tournament, you gave out the hardware, you raffled off the prizes, you're packing it all up, you're making sure everything's ready to go back home, and now it's all done. Feedback. (laughs) You're going to get feedback. Uh, Is there a way to at least try to streamline it, you know? Maybe set up, you know, hey, look, here, you know, thank you for coming. You know, include an email where they can email if they've got a problem. I mean, people are going to come up to you and tell you if they've got a problem. But you could put, you know, the, the, the compliments and complaints all in there. You get some compliments. It wouldn't be so bad. I, I don't know. You know what I'm saying? But how do you handle it? Um, just keep in mind that this is going to be someone's opinion based on their experience at your event. And the big thing that I try to format it with people and just say, it's like if you have any feedback or constructive criticism, that's what's most important. If you have somebody who just 
you know, decides to be a B to be a B, that's one thing. But it's another thing if they say, okay, I didn't feel like this went as smoothly as it could have. Here's some constructive feedback for how you can improve it. And look at it that way. If people are just yelling and ranting and raving, that's all well and good, but I'm not going to listen to you. <laughs> if you're going to come, well, I mean, you may, I mean, you may, I mean, you're going to listen, but it's, you're not going to get it. You're not going to get that. that you're looking for. I'm not going to give you. Right. You're not going to get that. What you're looking. Yeah. I see what you're saying. So realistically, if you tell people, okay, we're open to feedback. We definitely want it, but we're looking for constructive criticism and constructive feedback. Not just you telling me I did this wrong. Because I can probably figure out that I did something wrong. It's just, okay, what can I do to fix it yeah. going forward? How can this be handled differently, et cetera, et cetera? That's what I say to my kids all the time. Listen, not, I'm not my, not, my, not my biological kids, my students, or when I used to work, when I used to manage over at the toy store, I would tell my employees, listen, if I did something wrong, tell me. But if you, if you got a, Or if you got a beef with the way I did something, tell me. But please don't just come up to me with how much I suck. If you if you got beef with how I did it, how would you do it better? Like, give me a suggestion. Give me give me something to work with here, so mm-hmm. that I have an idea. I mean, I, I I like you said, I probably know if it didn't go well. You might not be the only person saying it didn't go well. What would you do? You know, and that's that's a big deal because if you get a bunch of people all saying the same thing that they would do, yeah, your path is clear. You know, mm-hmm. in general, I mean, it might be it might not be feasible. You know, it might be something that you can't do. I mean, you know, realistically, but it also might, right. you know, we wanted free rooms. Well, okay, whatever. But, you know, it, it, that it's that that feedback with a suggestion. Now, my boss always says, don't ever, don't ever come to me with this with a, with a problem without at least one solution in your own mind of how you can think you can handle it. Because that might just be it. And, you, and she's like, and I might not have been thinking of it. You know, you might already mm-hmm. have the answer that I'm not even thinking of, and we can get this done quick. So, yeah, because you are going to get feedback. Mm-hmm. And that's a good thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's it's how you're going to make your tournament better and have pe- more people come back the next year. Absolutely. So, so, is that everything? I think that's everything. That's a lot. That's a lot. It's a very daunting task, but it is it is worth it in the long run. And folks, if you've got questions, reach out. I'm always happy to help. We are definitely here to be a resource for you. So if you have any questions, please reach out and we'll do the best we can to help you. And if you have narrative ideas for events or questions about narrative events, go to uh, check out wearetheneon.com. Um, we are the Narrative Event Organizers Network. Um, you know, if that's if if you're looking to do something narrative organizing, um, just with even ideas about how it's going to be more of a narrative event than a non-narrative event, this is a group of people who that's the type of stuff they like to run. So, if that's the type of thing you like to run, you can ask. You can go there as well and 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 ask them. Um, that's always a bit. And if you have ideas for the scenarios, you know. Throw them out to your gaming group. Throw them out. You know, you could heck, you could post those on forums and stuff like that. Hey, can anyone try? I'm working on some scenarios. Would anybody be willing to try these for me? You can throw them out there, dude. There's always people willing to try a new scenario for their game. Mm-hmm. And if they're willing to try a scenario, I guarantee you they're willing to tell you what's wrong with it. 
you know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, all right, is that everything? I certainly hope so. And it's not, but again, folks, if you got questions, reach out. We'll be happy to help you. Yeah. Um, wow. Man, just listening to you go through all this stuff, I just, I'm really so interested in doing this, and I'm really just not certain that I have the time and ability to do something like this. But I really, this is like the last thing on my list of like my little Warhammer achievements list of like things you can do in the hobby. You know, like this, this mm-hmm. is like one of the few things left to tick off that I haven't done. I'm just like, oh, I really want to, but man, it's just, and the thing is, I have you as a backup, like not that you would run it with me necessarily, but like if, I mean, if ever you had a, a, a fortunate, you know, <laughs> uh, uh, someone you knew to, that, that you were close to, to go to with, for help, you know, doing that, you're one of my closest friends. I was like, I have you know that that right there in my backyard, and it's still daunting. It's still daunting. Mm-hmm. It, you know, it's what? a lot. E- even if you're a listener who's not into this type of the stuff, if you're a story stinker and, and you just go to tournaments with your and you're a you know a mid table champion or a or a bottom table hero, and you just go to have a good time and roll dice with friends, and, and none of this is something you would want to do, you know. You're just more interested in painting up your models and, and, and converting them into looking like your story. This fascinates me. Like, this is what the peop- this is what people are doing so that you can come and do that even. Like, mm-hmm. for the people, you know, it, 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 this, I mean, any sort of organized anything that you're doing, even if it's not Age of Sigmar. I mean, you know, people playing Magic maybe don't have to come up with terrain. But they've still got to do all this other stuff if they're going to have a, a, a big get-together like this, a big event like this. It's, it's I think it's, I, I appreciate your sitting and being candid and, and just laying out all of this stuff because it just seems like at times people don't always appreciate how much work goes into things. Um, you know, and it could, that, that's true for anything. But, I mean, I think people don't necessarily appreciate how much work goes into running uh, a GT, uh, which is why sometimes you hear people, well, that was great. You should expand. If you're like, nope, I am happy keeping it at 30 or 40 people because I know what this is and what, and I'm happy with what it is. Um, you know, not everything needs to be the size of South Coast GT. Or, no. you know, or or now Blood and Glory, because Ben's running Blood and Glory, and now that's become a multi-event. I mean, that's turning into a con almost at this point. Right. Because that place is huge and gorgeous. I wish he had time to come on and talk about it, because I know he wanted to, but now I think he's on maternity leave. So that's that for that. But, man, it's a big, beautiful place, and they've got a, several large events going on. It's like, oof, Ben, you've graduated from... A GT to to almost a con at this point, it seems like. So if they start getting vendors in there and a little vendor hall, then it, that's going to be, that's it. It's done, full blown. Yeah. Uh, all right. So, well, yeah, Alex, thanks for going through all this with me and with hey. the audience because this was pretty, this is eye opening. And, I mean, this isn't going to be the thing for everybody, but, 
even if you're someone who's coming into the scene and you may not really understand like all the hoops that the rest of us have to jump through to make this work, maybe give you a new appreciation. So just, yep. and the big thing, if, especially if you're not going to run, go. Yep. There's, there's a lot of GTs out there. They're starting to pop up, but realistically they're not like what we had in previous editions where there was multiple tournaments in the same area. You may have to commute to get to these different events. So if you can go and just do the best you can, the worst, I mean, it's, it's the same thing with fishing. A bad day fishing is better than a day at the office. I mean, come on. Yeah, there you go. All right. Well, and, uh, yeah, I guess that's it. That's seriously it. Um, we've had a few iTunes reviews and I've been going and kind of poking through iTunes one evening when I was sitting around kind of bored. Um, so thank you for people who are leaving iTunes reviews. That's always nice. I do appreciate them. Uh, and please thank you to those who are helping out on Patreon again. Thank you to our newest patrons, Aaron Sewer and Peter Bulemeyer or Bulemeyer. I'm not, I hope I didn't mangle your name too terribly. Um, and please check out the Patreon page. If you want to help join the almost one, the ranks of the almost 1%. And keeping this show um, doing the cool things it's doing. I'm going to Gen Con next week, which means we're going to have a Gen Con episode of Garage Gamer coming up. Because that's what we do. Um, and I'm actually playing in the AOS tournament all day Thursday. Um, so we'll be talking AOS, definitely, on the Gen Con episode. Um, oh, did I tell you what I'm doing right after uh, the AOS tournament? No. We are. I'm going back to my room and putting away all my toy soldiers, and then we are heading across to the stadium there because mm-hmm. they might be giants are playing. Ooh, ten bucks! Nice. Heather and I are going to see they might be giants right after the tournament, and then Friday and Saturday, I have uh, writing seminars with a bunch of different authors. Um, but the ones the, these that I picked, some of them are you know they're like. You know, groups of authors, and I'm going to get to sit and uh, get some writing uh, stories and tips and tactics from Larry Korea himself. So this will be the second time I'm getting to hang out and sit with him and learn from him. So I'm super excited. Yeah, and GW's going to be there, so I'm going to try to sit down and hang out maybe with Eddie for uh, get get a couple of diet cokes or whatever. You know. <laughs> So that's that. Um, oh, guys, um, you know, I haven't mentioned this lately. Um, don't forget, uh, especially for, I know, we, like we just had today with Aaron. Um, so we've had some 40K crossover with this, you know, um, people listening. And if you are a fan of 40K or 30K, don't forget, we still do after Olinor. And all those episodes are now being, they are all on the Free Buddhas Network. Um, you can go to the Freebooters Network or look that up on your iTunes or any of those catchers. Um, they actually have lots of different podcasts. We are just one of them. So if you subscribe, you'll get lots of different podcasts. Some of them you might love, and they're great. Some of them you might just have to hit Marcus Played and Skip. Uh, it depends on your tastes. I listen to a lot of them. Not all of them, because there are some games I just don't play. Um, but I listen to a lot of them. There's a lot of cool stuff. And I was introduced to a lot of cool things. Um, listen to the Free Buddhist Network. But uh, after Olinor is on there, we are going to be doing the last, uh, I think Greg and I, I think next week, hopefully before I go to Adept, or go to Gen Con, are recording the last half of the After Olinor episode. Or not last half of the um, 
uh, Fallen Angels. Or whichever it is. Not, no, not Descent. It's Fallen Angels. Yeah, Fallen Angels. Last half of Fallen Angels is going to go and be up soon. So uh, look forward to that. Please check that out if you're interested. Lots of good stuff on the Free Buddhist Network. So I think that's it. I think we're. Uh, I think that's a wrap. How about you? I think so. All right. Well, then uh, we'll wrap it up as usual, folks. Until next time, only the faithful will be triumphant. Only the faithful will stand when all others fall. And only the faithful will know no despair except in failure. You've been listening to Garage Hammer. If you've enjoyed the show, maybe consider leaving us a positive review on iTunes or check out our Patreon page at patreon.com slash garagehammer. If you'd like to reach us, you can contact us via our email address, garagehammer at live.com. You can also find us on Twitter. David is at garagehammer. And Alex, that's me, is at some kind of geek thirty. Original music by Claire Seabrook. You can find more of her work at SoundCloud.com/slash Claire Seabrook Music. Finally, if you want to join the Garage Hammer community as well as the AOS community worldwide, you can comment on our episodes in the show thread at the Grand Alliance forums. That's TGA.community, or check out the Garage Hammer Facebook page. And as always, thanks for listening.